At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, 5K and beyond, the S&P crossing that major milestone. Now the investment committee debates what's next for your money. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, and Kevin Simpson. Let's check the markets. We're holding above 5K on the S&P. Dow's a smidge negative. There's the NASDAQ outperforming today. So the bulls, uh, Jimmy, say this is not done yet. You got UBS 5,300 this year. Sounds right. The, you know, Tom Lee is the bull. 5,400 to 5,500 says his prior target looks conservative. It's been a remarkable run. That's been one heck of a run. Um, I do think those targets will be met by year end. But, Scott, I mean, you know, we're up 5% on the S&P 500 in 40 trading, excuse me, 40 calendar days, about 30 trading days. NVIDIA is up, what is it, 45%. Now, that by market cap, folks, that's about uh, almost $600 billion in market cap in a month and a half. And NVIDIA's just, up again today. I know. NVIDIA right now, let's just throw it, I mean, there it is. You guys have it up. Nice yeah. job. Uh, it's up seven, it's 715 bucks. Yeah, well. It's, it's another 3%. It's another 3%, 600 billion roughly in market cap added this year. And I'm just going to say to you, Scott, but also to our viewers, nothing's changed in the company over the last 40 days that merits 60, 600 billion of market cap change. This is sentiment. This is enthusiasm. It can continue. It's continuing right now. But I will tell you that as much as those those targets that Scott just mentioned, I think, are reachable. I also think we will have a correction, as we do in any normal year. Now, I woke up this morning, Scott. I know I'm going on the show, and I'm thinking to myself, geez, I haven't done any moves recently. I'm kind of boring. You're probably bored with me. And until this morning, I was thinking, i got to buy something, because I sold Boeing. I sold Alaska Airlines a little while back. i got to buy something. No, this morning I wake up and say, my next move is to trim. It's to trim because we are going to have a correction. It's not today. You can see that in NVIDIA. You can see that in Apple and Microsoft. But I will tell you, when you get a distributive day, which we haven't this year, a distributive day in the MAG-7, I'm going to take some money off the table. It's not because the, you know, the earth is shaking or falling out beneath our feet, but because corrections are normal. And when you have this much of a swoosh higher on enthusiasm, at some point, you've got to give it you back. you think NVIDIA is the key to the, the I do. whole market right now. I do. Because of those numbers, and you know, it, actually, it's not just Nvidia, but that's obviously the bellwether. Think about Meta, which has added 300 billion in market cap so far this year. Think about Microsoft, which has also added 300 billion. I mean, in- J- Josh trimmed 20 percent, Bryn, off of Nvidia, which he loves. You own it. Everybody today, but yeah. Kev owns it. What, what are you thinking about as this stock just continues to defy gravity? As I said. It's up 3% again today. It just recently crossed 700, and now it is at 716 and a half. NVIDIA has doubled four times in the past five years. It's just been this historic, you know, company to witness. But I think when that occurs, what was maybe a 3% weighting 
you know, if you've held it, all of a sudden becomes a 12-15% weighting. And so I think that's where portfolio construction comes in. And so you can't fault anyone for, for, for trimming this, this just like beast of a name. I do think from my perspective, you know, half of my position I sell calls on. And so when NVIDIA was between 400 to 550, I was selling calls. So right now on that position, I sold 550 calls. So in the middle of March, if it is over 550, with just well over that, that piece will get called away. I'm totally comfortable with it because that is portfolio management to me. And so I do think though, where you know Nvidia and Meta are 50% of the return of the S&P because the move is this year has been so big. Mm-hmm. To me, what's really concerning is this exuberance underneath the Nvidia adjacents, like the ARMS, the ASML, the Supermicro. Um, you know these companies that are up Palantir up 30 to 100% you know, right after their earnings or two or three days later, that I listened to all the earnings calls, Scott, it does not make sense, except it's exuberance and sentiment. So to me, there's a ton of froth underneath this AI shift, because it's not all gonna come in the first, in the first year of AI. Right. You know, Tony Pascarello talks about, he's of course head of hedge fund client coverage, Goldman Sachs. I always cite his notes when they come out weekly because I, I feel like he gets at the pulse of what's happening and those that he speaks to, I, I, I know the kind of investors that he talks to on a regular basis, and they're really on the pulse of what's happening uh, in the market. He addresses this too concentrated um, risk it, within the market, and he, he says, well, I worry that we're increasingly due for a short-term correction in the momentum story. The key has been to keep your eye on the ball where the biggest and, and best names are. Um, how about this stat, Jason? The top six stocks in the S&P are up 11% year to date, while nearly half of all stocks in the index are marked down in the new year. If that doesn't speak to concentration, I don't know what does. And yeah, anybody would come on here and say, well, we've got to be due for a correction. Of course we're due for a correction. Look how how much we're up in a short period of time. The the Nasdaq's up 24% since November 1st. Being due for a correction doesn't mean anything. Absolutely, Scott. And, and, you know, as as I was kind of thinking about this morning, one of the things that came to mind for me is we were having the same conversation last year in Q1 of last year, talking about the narrow breath and how how seismic the returns have been in the NASDAQ 100. And we were also talking about the year of efficiency and obviously what Meta did. And we're seeing a lot of that pass through again this year with the, with the mega caps. There's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of layoffs and margin expansion in, in you know, in terms of growth and revenue. So um, I think it can continue, um, to, to be perfectly honest with you. I think the later part of February, likely there will be a pullback. I think that, I think, to your point, a lot of folks, it's easy to say that. It's easy to surmise that based on what the, the price action that well, we've seen. Right. Of course the market's due for, for some kind of consolidation right. at some point. So what? Right. Doesn't right, mean right. you're going to have one today, tomorrow, or next week. But what I will say, though, which, what's been interesting for me is industrials are starting to break out. Obviously, the transports are starting to break out. So there are other areas of the market that you can participate in. And I do think, from Bryn's perspective, I think it's an excellent point. Risk management is important. You can do some pruning at the top, but keep these core holdings in place. I mean, Kev, is, is it the right strategy right now to, quote, unquote, keep your eye on the ball with the biggest and best names? Now, Tony also points out, by the way, that hedge funds continue to buy 
these stocks. They've been buying tech for four consecutive weeks, and that length is now a, uh, a multi-year high. Yeah, I think people are always going to pay up for tech, but this doesn't feel the same as it did last year. I mean, last year it really felt like there were seven names that were carrying the entire market. And I realize that it is nobody's talking about six names representing 11% of the S&P return this year. But I want to pick up with Jason said, it feels like there's a whole lot more breath this year. And if we do see a pullback, because, you know, why, why can't we? Once in a while, you do get 10% pullbacks. In the old days, you know, we get two a year. Every once in a while, you get a 20% pullback. It seems like every day things keep going higher and higher. And I guess the valuations, if you look at them on a one-year basis, Scott, we're ahead of our skis. Easy thing to say. But if you take the lens back a little bit and you look at it from the rate hike cycle, when it started at the end of 2021, there's a ton of things that haven't gone up a whole heck of a lot. And looking at it from that macro picture, we're not as far ahead of our skis as it probably feels like just over this micro concept or this micro sector of time. You know, Jimmy, you, you want to know why people keep keeping their eye on, on the ball with, with the mega cap names? I mean, cash pile. Um, reliable for the most part earnings growth right that's, that's where you're going to go and tony also mentions buybacks we already know the massive amount of buyback that that apple does and he lists sort of the from the mega caps apple bought back 20 and a half billion dollars in q4 that leaves 53 and a half billion of their prior 90 billion authorization still on the table google repurchased 16 billion meta 6.3 billion microsoft 4 billion in other words, these companies are buying back more stock than anybody else in size and scale that nobody else can do because they don't have the resources to do it mm -hmm. in the magnitude that they are. There's your fuel as to why, in part, these stocks continue to go up. So I agree with you about the fuel being there, and I think you know how I feel about buybacks, but if that is the case, then there are a lot of companies, folks, outside of the MAG-7 where there is a, even more fuel, even more fuel. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of them, not, not going to go through by names, but airlines, casinos, car manufacturers. And here's the point I would make, taking nothing away from the MAG-7 in those buybacks. If you're Apple and you're buying back your shares at roughly 32 times forward multiple, that's an earnings yield of 3%. If you're GM and you're buying it back at a five times multiple, that's an earning yield of 20%. I mean, this is if you're looking at the cash that's going into these shares as an investment, the yield return or the, uh, the earnings yield return on GM's repurchases is 20 percent. Apple's is 3 percent. I knew you. So I, I knew you were going to cite that that particular buyback. I, I would just suggest these feel more powerful in what What's the factual? message is. Around, around these stocks that as investors are scrutinizing what some would suggest to be extended valuations, but yet these companies continue, Jason, to come in and, and buy back their shares, even at these elevated prices and, and multiples, it gives you more confidence that there's more room ahead. Right. And that's why there's not a lot of selling in these names. It's why in NVIDIA, now it's not on the buyback list, obviously, but it is why those stocks continue in part to go up to the degree that they do. 
Right. And, and I, I mean, to the point of, for me, when I think about free cash flow, and you, and you talk about a company like Apple who has $100 billion in free cash flow, and the ability to make these statements and buy back a ton of stock, obviously, is, is a message, right? But the other thing I think that is, that is important as we look to what we saw last week, there was clear dispersion. Right. All of them didn't all the mega cap names didn't move in the same in the same fashion. So I think there 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 are some stories that make more sense than others. Like I like Microsoft. I like Amazon. But, you know, the Apples and Googles of the world, I think, are falling back a little bit. So I think, you know, it's, it's something to evaluate. So, Kev, you know, you, you could the, the the people who are more cautious or are still bearish are citing these alleged risks to the market, not to discount any of them. They, they may be real risks. How significant each one is, is the real question. Too concentrated, I, we just went through, you know, the Tony's, Tony's list and some of the facts around that. They say the market's too reliant on rate cuts. You know, we're not looking at March anymore. All the Fed speakers of the week, and there were many, are on message that we're gonna get rate cuts likely this year, but it's not gonna come in March. So we asked the Wharton professor, Jeremy Siegel, um, from your neck of the woods, in, around Philly, is the market too reliant on rate cuts? And he's said no. Listen. At this particular point, I don't see the need for the, the, the Fed to lower. I mean, take a look at all the real indicators. They haven't slowed down. Even the advance indicators have not slowed down. When they begin to slow down, that and if inflation's under control, which I do think it is, we're going to have those lowering your rates. But I'm not saying that this bull market at all depends on the rates being lowered in March or really even in May. Is that is that factual? Kevin Simpson, do you agree with the professor? 100 percent. It has to be because in December, Scott, we came into the year with 100 percent of us saying there's going to be a rate cut in the first quarter. There's going to be seven, eight rate cuts this year. And if we don't see it, the market's going to fall off the cliff. Well, the Fed chair put the March rate cut in the rearview mirror. And now May is potentially a coin flip, but we don't need rate cuts at that aggressive level when we have a, an economy that's still strong. We have a labor market that's incredibly robust, and it comes down to earnings season. These aren't like last year where they're better than feared. These earnings are good, and if they're not good, the stocks are getting punished. So I think we need to see rate cuts this year. I think we, we will see rate cuts this year, but I don't think we're relying or dependent upon seeing them immediately and seeing them at mass. In fact, I think the longer we can hold out, the better, and the more we can stretch it out, the better. It's a precarious position, you know, when to cut and when not to. You don't want to keep them too high for too long, but so far, so good, and I think the Fed deserves a lot of credit. They, they may. Um, Bryn, I, I could almost make a counter-argument that don't we need rate cuts to at least confirm to us that the Fed believes that inflation is going where it needs it to go, and that you know, yes, they can use the strong economy as an excuse or an insurance policy to wait a little bit longer. At some point, we need them to cut to tell us, yep, we agree. We agree where the market is make, placing its bet. Inflation's going down to 2% target, and therefore, we're confident enough to cut rates. 100%. I mean, I, I respectfully totally disagree with Professor Siegel is that there's still five rate cuts priced in, right? So March is potentially not on the calendar. If we end up pushing those out, and actually we're not gonna get rate cuts, which wouldn't really make sense to me, unless, unless inflation really started heating back up, it just makes sense to have rate cuts. 
But if the market had to digest that we weren't going to have rate cuts, we would absolutely, within specific sectors, re-rate lower. I think that's where small caps would continue to be under pressure. These economically sensitive areas, the regional banks, I mean, to me, are like everyone thinks that the the New York bank is isolated. There's 500 500 billion of commercial mortgage-backed loans coming due this year and next year. And so I think that not having a rate cut would definitely be a huge dampener on, on, on really specific sectors within the market. Maybe not NVIDIA or AI, AI adjacent, but I think the overall market would have an issue with the multiple it was today. Well, that's the thing about the valuation, which by the way, Jimmy, you know, Professor Siegel didn't even think that the multiple on the market was quote unquote too rich, which is yet another one of these risks that you hear from people who say this can't possibly last and maybe shouldn't even be where it is now. He says even at 20 times, even at a 20 PE, yeah, it's a little bit higher than the historical average, but still projects to me a good 7 to 8% rate of return over the next three to five years, still much better than the bond market in my calculation, goes to you know, where the part of the conversation has been over the last 18 months or so, whether you know, bonds were a better play than stocks, yeah. and uh, now whether that pendulum has swung back to equities or you know, even in fact, both can go up quite nicely together. Well, along with the professor, I do dismiss that as a risk, uh, the valuation, and let's call it 20 times, which- Why, why do you dismiss it as a risk? Yeah, I mean, I, I S&P will. is 20 and a half times 17. Hang on, Tex, I'm about to tell you. Yeah. Uh, if you take a look at the equal weight S&P 500, um, RSP is the ticker. The multiple on this year's earnings is 16.4. So we can, have, we can continue this debate that we're having already about the MAG-7, but when you take out the MAG-7, the average stock is trading at 16.4 times. That's not expensive. And I'll also make that the argument. That is the professor's argument, too. Yeah. I'll also make the argument, I mean, 20 times, it ain't cheap. I get that. But this is not, I mean, it's not absurd. And it's not absurd for the, uh, you know, when we're talking about the MAG-7, remember the earnings growth that you're seeing there. It's pretty tremendous. But yet, you say it's not absurd, but yet you come to me at the very top and you say, well, I'm thinking yeah. about, I'm not thinking about buying anything. I'm thinking about where can I trim yeah. what, what I've got that, that's up a lot. And NVIDIA's at the top of your list. You don't think that now the Bring so-called it. dean Bring evaluation, it, I'm going to think about how I want to say this. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the so-called dean evaluation at NYU Stern, Demoterin, he owns NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. He's owned it a lot lower than here. Yeah. And clearly he's uncomfortable with where the valuation is because he used the word the other day, insane. With me, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, insane to me was Cisco. This is a guy who makes his living literally looking at valuations of stocks. He's mad famous for, for it. Mad respect for him, but this is not Cisco at 100 times earnings 25 years ago. This isn't Qualcomm at 200 times earnings. With regards to my comment on the market overall, it's more the short-term move. It's not the multiple. All right. I mean, 35 times forward earnings on Nvidia for the growth rate. The growth rate's like over what Jason over like 50 percent. I think 50%. he would agree. I think 100%. I think you make a really good point. I'm going to let you continue. I think you make a really good point. And and maybe his queasiness, if you will, is, is, mm-hmm. is more due to the Fine. price appreciation yes. than the multiple. That's yeah, fair. Yes, and that's, that's where my that's queasiness. I think better said that way. That's mm-hmm. where my queasiness is as well. $600 billion, I keep coming back to this number. $600 billion of market cap added to NVIDIA over the last five weeks. And it's a fabulous wow. company, but I'm just telling you, nothing fundamentally has changed in the company, even close to $600 billion. So it is sentiment. It is exuberance. And it can continue. Just to be clear, I'm not selling today, but I I am waiting for a rollover day, and then I'm going to take some money out of tech. Well, I'm looking at other stocks on the list of big winners since November 1st and wondering what you guys are 
are thinking, for example, Jason, Palo Alto is up 56% since November yep. 1st. Yep. Uh, you looking to trim that? American Express is up 44%, yeah. record high. Yeah. Arista is up 41% since November 1st. ServiceNow, yeah. which you trimmed in early January, another record high, it's up 39%. You, you trimmed it too early, now right, what? Right, right, right. Um, and, and I think, you know, we talked about this at the early part of the show, I think risk management obviously is an important discipline as, as we manage stocks and as investors, right? So um, for me, when I'm looking at that basket, I, I look more towards the AI uh, story. So the Anets of the world, um, Nvidia. I trid Nvidia twice last year, but again, it was up 240 percent. It's up almost 300 percent in 15 months. We've we've already discussed this at length. Um, and to Jimmy's point, I'd, you know, again, there's a lot of good sentiment um, and, and animal spirits around around a lot of these semiconductor names. So as we go through the first quarter. The AI pieces are the ones we'll likely trade. It's, it's interesting, too, Bryn, that, mm-hmm. you know, at, NVIDIA's multiples come in since the beginning of the year. We, we yep. keep citing that. It's the runaway price appreciation more so than the multiple. I think the professor at NYU Stern would suggest that. Jimmy said it more eloquently than I did in, in my question to him. But isn't that the real issue that, that is of concern? Yeah, I mean, NVIDIA is actually like the least of, if you look at the stocks, the least of my concern. I mean, consensus, here's the deal. Consensus estimates, if those come to fruition, it's a cheap stock. That's the question. And I think it's for the next three years, 31% of um, top line sales per year. I mean, huge numbers. I think that the, the, the rapidity of it, but to me, what makes me um, unnerved is like I said at the beginning, the stocks underneath it, the arm holdings, like parabolic, and it was a good call. ASML, it was a good call. But those moves on these names underneath that are not growing even remotely as powerful as NVIDIA, to me, that's where the froth is, and that's where people should be very thoughtful before taking a new position and think mm-hmm. about trimming those names. I think they're way, way ahead of themselves. What about Broadcom, Kevin? You have it. It's up 51%. It's not an NVIDIA. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what its growth rate is relative to NVIDIA. Can't imagine it's it's the same. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's up 51% nonetheless since November 1st. You got it. Are you thinking about trimming it? No, we're not, Scott. But if there's anything, and we talked about it at the top of the show, a breath of this market, look at the other names, Caterpillar, IBM, Home Depot. I mean, these stocks haven't done a whole lot for two years. We're not just talking about AI. That's not my world. You know, I'm a dividend, free cash flow type manager. And what's interesting is that our sixth best performer that didn't even make it is Microsoft, which is up 24% from November 1st. And that one, Scott, we are going to be trimming next week. We've, what a we focus very carefully on the position <laughs> size. What a slouch that stock has been. Yeah, right. <laughs> How do I even get in this conversation that the stock's going up like that? But yeah. if we get a position that grows over 5%, we're going to trim it back down. Microsoft's in that boat. Uh, Broadcom is just a smaller position for us. We've only been in it a short time, and it's amazing how, how it's, um, it's, it's been on fire, but it's not a big enough position for us where we need to start trimming it. But like Bryn, you know, we utilize a lot of covered call writing, and we'll mm-hmm. be implementing covered calls a lot more actively into this rally, certainly than we were able to do the past two years. Well, you, you sold waste management, which got called away <clears throat> from you. You bought Marathon, um, which is an interesting move given what energy hasn't done. Can you tell me more about the marathon rather than I understand how something got called away from you, but why'd you buy marathon? 
I mean, it, it, it's the, the hallmark of, ca- of free cash flow for energy. When we're talking about share buybacks earlier within the tech space, since 2021, they basically cut their float in half. They're buying back shares so aggressively. The return to shareholders last quarter was $2.9 billion through dividends and share buybacks. And they've allocated another $5.9 billion in share buybacks moving forward, which they'll implement. I mean, they're just printing cash. This is a seasonal time for oil to become a little bit better, but it's not indicative of where oil is trading. It's a company that's generating cash flow, returning it to shareholders. They just increased their dividend by 10%. We actually had this stock called away from us last August, just like Waste Management this week. And it's a name that we feel very, very confident in. You're talking about an 11 PE moving forward. So if we're thinking that things are stretched and we're looking for alternatives, to your point, Scott, energy has not been that great an investment for 2023 or 2024, but free cash flow is music to my ears, and, and this stock is, is, the, uh, is the big daddy. Before we bounce, we'll get a, a, a buy from you, Jason, yep. as well. Uh, Blackstone, you bought. Why? Yeah, no, I think I think private equity is interesting here. Stocks um, have ripped. Yeah, no, it's uh, and they raised about fifty-three billion dollars in, in equity in, in the fourth quarter. They have two hundred billion of, of free cash flow. Um, well, dry powder, I really should say, to, to deploy. And I think as we look towards the end of the year, as we've had this interest rate uh, cut story play out, I think private equity and Blackstone will really make them. Uh, All right. Up next, after this break, we're going to do our calls of the day. Got a bullish note out on Palo Alto. Mentioned that one a minute ago because we do have ownership. We'll give you the trades as well. Cleveland Cliffs, Costco are moving. Halftime's back in two minutes. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. We're back. Let's do some calls of the day. I'm looking at Cleveland Cliffs today, and I'm looking at you, Jimmy. It was initiated overweight at J.P. Morgan. I'm typing it in as I ask you this question. Wasn't previously rated. The price target's 24. The 52-week high is 22, almost 23, and it's pushing 20 bucks. 
So this is about shareholder return. There's a lot of moving parts here, and we can talk about U.S. Steel, but let's just focus on shareholder return for a second. Estimates are that they'll have $1.2 billion in free cash flow this year. Their leverage ratio is below one. Their debt to EBITDA is just below one. So they're not going to be buying back more debt. There really isn't any more debt to buy back. What are they going to do with that cash? They're not buying U.S. Steel. Um, you know, maybe the Nippon Steel deal falls through, but that's we're a long way from that. So right now, what they're going to do with that free cash flow is buy back shares and in size. I mean, that free cash flow, by the way, I think that estimate is light because you've got production of autos going up, which means volumes going up. Their cost of inputs have gone down. They've got very little in CapEx. I think they're going to be buying back a ton of shares, frankly. Jason, we mentioned Palo Alto being one of these big winners. It, yeah. it is on the call list because the target was raised at Barclays to 400 bucks. Yeah. That's, that's one thing we've seen consistently, whether it's Palo Alto, NVIDIA for that matter, or any of these other high flyers. The street continues to chase these things up, up and away. Again, 400, overweight, bullish earnings. You know, February 20th is when they, uh, when they do report. What are you thinking here? Yeah, no, I think billings have con continued to remain strong for, for Palo Alto. The stock's already up 27% year to date. I think one of the things that, that I'm excited about and I think will be accretive to the stock, they did $650 million worth of acquisitions between Talon and, and Dig in December of last year. Um, so I just continue to, to believe that this theme is still relevant and, and they'll see some continued price appreciation. Brian, how about this call on Albemarle today? Downgraded to neutral from buy oh. over at City. Price target goes to 120 they had it at 175. They cut their estimates too on lower lithium prices. I think the call was really late. I mean, so, I mean, lithium has just like fallen like a stone. And so we will add to this position to, dub to, to, to double down, but not at this point. You really need to get those lithium prices to stabilize, which is going to take production cups from like the SQM and Albemarle. So this is just one of the downsides of, you know, buying public commodities is if you're on a down cycle, it can be really vicious. But I think a lot of this is already built into the price of the stock. So I think it was a late cut, but very valid. Costco reiterated a buy at Goldman Sachs. Price target gets bumped to 750 bucks, 749. You see 722 and a half here. That was at 665 before. They say they have a quote, new strategic era ahead. You want to give me a quick on this? Kevin, I'm coming to you, too, but Jason, yeah. what do you got? Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they obviously have a new management team coming in place in, in early March. And I think what they're focusing on is digital sales. It's only 6% of revenue at this point. Um, they're a permanent compounder. I, I love them in the, re, in the retail space. But this is interesting. I'll see how this works. Kev, so you previously owned this. Now, now you have Walmart. And you say you need to own one of these two consumer stocks. I, I'd like to answer why. And why can't you own both? But we only have a limited amount of space that we can allocate towards retail. And right now we have Walmart and Home Depot. But we love Costco. We've certainly owned it off and on over the years. The subscription model is incredibly powerful. I agree with this price uh, increase in terms of the target. Walmart's been no slouch. It's $1 away from its all-time highs. If we do go through a period where the consumer is slowing down or at least living on a budget modestly, these companies generate tons of cash. The Walmarts, the Costcos, these are incredible investments. And for us, you know, wh wh whichever one you own, you have to have exposure. For us right now, it happens to be Walmart. But uh, we love both of these names. All right, I got you. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. 
Hi, Scott. Former Maryland governor and prominent Trump critic Larry Hogan is running for the U.S. Senate. He announced his run today just shy of the filing deadline. Hogan won two terms as a Republican governor in the typically blue state. The Democratic National Committee filing a Federal Election Commission complaint against Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign and a super PAC allied with it, alleging that the campaign is receiving an improper benefit from the super PAC's work to qualify him for state ballots. The campaign previously denied coordinating with the PAC on ballot access efforts. Zillow has launched an option to search for individual room listings as Americans struggle with high rent and housing costs. The app now includes a room filter under the home type drop-down menu. You can search for a room in a single family rental, condo, or townhouse based on your budget, your lifestyle, and preferred location. The feature is available nationwide. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Coming up, our chart of the day, Expedia getting crushed today. Joe Chernova's in it. He's going to join us to talk about that. Plus, Bill Baruch just bought a stock that is up. It's up 60% this week alone. He's going to join us next to discuss. There are some notable names of black CEOs in the Fortune 500, including TIAA chief Tashunda Brown Duckett, Marvin Ellison at Lowe's, and the latest edition of Tony Towns Whitley, who joined the Science Application International Corporation in October. They're among the eight CEOs in the Fortune 500 who are black. That's less than 2% of the list. Still, it's a record number. Celebrating black heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. We're back. Let's do our chart of the day. It's Expedia. Shares are plunging today after missing holiday bookings. Announcing its CEO is stepping down as well. Joe Terranova, I mentioned, is the name down 19%. Uh, joins us now. What are you doing with this? Hey, Scott. How are you? Good, well, look, thanks. I'm not surprised by this, first of all. We discussed this on Wednesday. When you saw the ads during the AFC and the NFC Championship, you kind of sat back in your chair and you said, no, please don't do this. Don't start spending money to go out and challenge Airbnb. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's what they're doing. The free cash flow accelerated here, negative free cash flow, but well beyond what was expected, above $400 million. We also have a CEO transition. So, look, I'm not surprised by this. You know, you asked the question, what do we do with this? Remember, we have the benefit. We can give this stock the benefit of the doubt because it was purchased and added to Joe T in October at 95. So we have a little bit of a cushion. Mm -hmm. And candidly, as you know, we're not going to get out of the stock until the end of April. But I think this is a strong message to investors that this can happen. This is clearly a momentum name. This is a stock that going into the earnings report, price was 27% above the 200-day moving average. So to see a 55% gain from October now look like a 30% gain, it's not unsurprising. Momentum is dented. 
The fundamentals is dented. It's not really broken. It really is sitting in a position where, candidly, if you don't own the name, I wouldn't buy it. And I certainly wouldn't uh, go in and, and take a short position in an IR. If you own it higher, I think you do have a little bit of a problem because what's not going to save you here is the valuation. The current PE on this stock is 17. 12 months forward, the PE is 10. That's not going to matter right now. What's going to matter is that momentum appears to be somewhat broken, and you could see further downside ahead. Jimmy, hey, you got a comment? Hey, Joe, it's Jimmy. I'm, I'm curious. Look, obviously, you're, you're being clear about what your recommendation is here. Is this a business model that's just fundamentally broken? And by that, I mean specifically, like, okay, you go to Expedia to check the prices of hotels and flights, but then you go, you know, on the hotel website or on the airline website and just get it done there and get more perks. I mean, this feels a little bit like that's PayPal. Not- this feels like PayPal where there's no moat to competition. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I- Listen, I, I think that's a good question. I don't think it's fair to say that it's it's a completely broken business model. But you're right. The the competition is there. There's there's no barrier to the entry. And clearly, whether it's Airbnb or or Booking Holding. And by the way, we sold Booking Holding at the end of January. Thankfully, we still own Airbnb. Um, but but you're right. You you could see others come into play here. Um, so Jimmy, candidly. The reason we bought this stock was because it was a quality name that saw a surge in revenue growth of up 30% over the last three years. And then guess what kicked in, Jimmy? Momentum. Mm-hmm. Momentum right. kicked in. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize right now. Momentum is dominating the market. And this is a classic example of a momentum name. And when you have these momentum names and you're 27% above the 200-day moving average, don't be surprised if you wake up the next morning and you're only 9% above the 200-day moving average. Joe, thanks for joining. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see you on the other side, Joe Terranova. Now, I mentioned Bill Baruch buying a stock that's up 60% this week alone. It is Arm Holdings, and he joins us now to explain why. Uh, 60% up, you buy it now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's about 10% off the high, so so I'll take that part of it. yeah, but before I dive into why, again, here's the thing is I'm looking at, at ARM and it's all about portfolio positioning. Amazon's our number one holding. I, I talked about Tesla yesterday. If you couple ARM and Tesla together, they're about a third of our portfolio, a third of the size of Amazon. But I want to own these names because I think that they, they can four or five X from here over the next three years. Look at the EPS that just came out here. They raised guidance on this report on the lower end of full year guidance of EPS by 20%. Not only that, we're going to start to see better royalties as as their uh, as their clients switch off the V8 architecture and move into the V9 architecture with better computing. They cover 99% of the smartphone CPU computing market right here, and I, I just see this this foothold getting bigger and bigger. I want to have a piece in this game right now, and uh, I see myself adding if it does go lower. So a couple things. So you're you're telling me that none of that what you just said is already in the stock. Number one. Number two, if the market is ripe for some kind of consolidation, wouldn't this be at the top of the list or certainly near it for stocks that can have a larger drawdown than others because of the unbelievably rapid rise? Well, number one, I mean, here, here's the thing is, is overall this positioning in this, in this market um, not being priced in right now because I think that this name is now on the list of other managers, other funds that are looking to gain this exposure. Remember, they went public in September, October of last year. 
from there, you know, these names are not getting bought right away. The lockup period for those who own it are, are, is extensive, but these names are not getting bought right away. We got through one quarter of, of earnings reports, and then we're getting, this is the main quarter right here. This is what puts it on funds' radars. This is what puts it on managers' radars. So I, I think now they're waking up to it. The, the, the big banks that are managing large amounts of money, they're waking up to that name now. That's why I want to piece into it. But when you talk about the broader market in the move that we've had in the SPX above 5,000 here, new highs typically lead to newer highs. And that's why here, if we do get a pullback, I think what they've done, what they've accomplished and announced within this earnings report is going to keep this market out above you know, the $70 and $80 mark. I would love to buy it again and add to this position if for some reason it did go to $80 and $90. I think we'll see it build a nice base out. But the thing is, it may not go down there. And the way I look at this extrapolating in years to come, we're in the early innings of AI. I, at some points, have thought that we were maybe in the middle innings. No, I, I really think we are in the closer, the, the early first half of, of AI and monetizing it. What we're seeing here from the hyperscalers, from Apple now, what we're seeing from mm -hmm. Meta, of course, Alphabet and Microsoft, they're going to be putting right. more money in, into this and pumping Obliged. into it. I got you. I mean, one of, one of the obvious concerns is that some of these stocks have, have gotten nine innings worth of gains in the first inning. So that's something to keep an eye on. I appreciate you joining us. Bill Baruch, thank you. Up next, Mike Santoli is here with his Midday Word. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli sitting at the desk with us for his midday word. I mean, we did wonder what getting over 5K that the hurdle itself would would mean. You had the revisions to um, to CPI, which we had, had looked at, and look, yields are creeping up. Yield they are. The ten years at almost 419 again. Yeah, I don't know if the market is exhibiting a little bit of resistance to the yield effect, or if it's just lagged, or if it's not hit a threshold where there where there's much concern. What I will note is the big landmark index level was just hitting a few seconds ago, 2,000 on the Russell 2000. We're back. It's the third out of the five days this week that the Russell's been outperforming. It's been obviously the problem child of the market in some respects. It doesn't have to lead the way. 2,100 is the area, another 5% from here. That's like the early year high uh, you know, going back a while. That would suggest that the tone is changing in the market. Not that it has to change, but that would indicate something might be brewing. And that has been the most yield-sensitive mm. part of the market. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. Um, it, it doesn't have to change, but it would certainly help. It would help in the overall yeah. kind of narrative about where we are and where we may go from here. It would, it would help stock selection. It would help the idea that the market's responding to a better economy and not just you know, flows and excitement about AI. I still keep pointing out, though, that the market itself is not as narrow as is being portrayed in general. Um, industrials have a very nice looking chart as a group. They do. They've done well. Off the lows, consumer cyclicals have done better than the market. So the market's figuring stuff out. Um, it, it's just not necessarily providing the big push in terms of adding market. All right, we'll see you on closing bell. Right. Michael, thank you. Mike Santoli coming up. A big breakout from one of Bryn's holdings today. We're going to trade it, of course. Plus, we will talk about some of the week's other major movers in two minutes. All right, we're back. I want to single out two big winners and two big losers this week. Loser, 
Well, Charter Communications is down big. Trading to lows not seen since January of 2019. Moderna's a big loser this week as well. On the winner side, Bryn, I'm coming to you because Roblox is on our list. They beat and they had that strong guidance. We wanted to talk to you on that day. You couldn't do it, so I'm glad you're here today, uh, given the week that this has had. What, what do we do here? Yeah, I mean, I like, I like buying good founders. Dave Bazuki is so solid. I think to put some more context around the numbers, whether it was daily active users, bookings, revenues, hours engaged, they were all up 20 to 30%. So really strong numbers. What I'm excited about is their international expansion continues to go very well. Japan was up, I believe, 45, India at 59. And they mentioned that they started this AI chat translation. So, you know, everyone has their headsets on while they're playing. You can actually translate now into 16 languages. So someone in the U.S. could talk to someone in India. So that's really cool. They're hitting all their strides. I do think for the stock to get, Scott, over 50 and then on, they're going to have to have a path to positive earnings. I still think that's probably a year or so away. But really good to see the the execution overseas. You give me something quick, too, on Bitcoin, which is up 10% this week and above 47K for the first time since March of 2022. So it's been a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think people are excited about this having. You know, I couldn't tell you exactly, exactly why that's bullish and what it means, but I know people are excited about it. And so I think, you know, Bitcoin continues to surprise everybody and, and, and just be very, very volatile, but very durable um, over the long term. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with final trades. Going to bring you a stock alert here. Shares of Cisco moving higher, as you see, as the uh, Reuters is reporting that that company plans to restructure its business, including laying off thousands of employees, looking, according to this report, to focus on high growth areas, according to three sources familiar. Uh, the company, as you may recall, and Jimmy, you, uh, you own the stock, so you followed the earnings most recently when they did cut their full year revenue and profit forecast, uh, a sign that demand for their networking equipment was slowing. We've heard a lot from tech companies about trying to get leaner, yep. uh, and this appears to be the latest one added to that list. Yeah, and this seems to be the playbook now in tech. Uh, you get rewarded in your share price if you cut heads, um, so that's what they're doing. Look, last quarter, when Cisco reported, they gave very poor guidance as far as their order book, and the fear is that all the spending on AI is just taking revenue in limited tech budgets, uh, taking revenue away from Cisco. So they're going to report next week, and here's what I think is key. They announced this week a partnership with NVIDIA uh, in terms of, of corporate budgets and enterprise spending. I'd like to see them on the call next week talk about that more in the same way, different industry, in the same way that Bob Iger really gave some life to the Disney story when he talked about the Warner Brothers and Fox Sports uh, uh, partnership that he's got going. There's an opportunity here for Cisco to really get back on its feet, but they need to act on it. It's, Look, not, just, it's not just headcount it looks. It looks like it would be the second uh, significant um, pairing of jobs from this company in the last, let's let's call it 18 months or so, November of 22, they did announce during an earnings call, according to this report, a restructuring that impacted roughly 5% of the workforce. This particular report suggests that the total number of employees this round um, is not known. They're still deciding it at this point. Kevin Simpson, you're in this name too, aren't you? I, I am, Scott, and if you think about the acquisition of Spunk, uh, Splunk, it makes sense that there may be a, a, an excess of employees. I know that sounds callous to talk about it, but if we look beyond that, we talk about free cash flow. In addition to the restructuring, this company is committed to really 
fifty percent of free cash flow being distributed to shareholders through buybacks, dividends. They still have ten billion dollars of buybacks that they have authorized. I don't expect a whole heck of a lot out of the earnings report. I don't know that I'd buy the stock in advance of that. We do own it. We have a 52 and a half call against half the position. We love the stock long term, but I'm not sure that there's going to be tremendous headlines that are going to drive it you know, forward next week. You know, Jim, it's just one of those names that just hasn't really resonated very well with investors this year. It, uh, it's flat, yep. uh, maybe down a, a, a touch uh, on the year, as all of these other stocks we've been talking about have just ripped within tech. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I think this earnings call, Scott, is make or break. Um, you know, one. Well, this is obviously trying, if, if this report is, is, is correct, it doesn't um, it's well. well. Well, it depends how you look at it. It's obviously trying to get ahead of that. Yeah, um, and I'll grant you that. But um, look, they had a bad quarter and a bad guidance last time, and this has been a steady eddy performer. Um, but I don't want to see this roll over into into something that becomes very moribund for a long time. So I'm looking, and I think others are as well. And I know people in my company that I talk to, we're looking at this as kind of make or break this quarter. Uh, there needs to be some good guidance. I do think the Nvidia partnership is important. I think Kevin's right about Splunk. That's important. Bryn, you got a final trade? Thanks for that, Jimmy, by the way. Yep. Yeah, I think the Qs are the best way to play AI. So if you want to have a more defensive way, JEPQ, it sells calls on the NASDAQ 100. All right. Appreciate that. Kevin Simpson. MPC Marathon Petroleum. We love energy, especially the refining space. This is a stock that will benefit from global consumption that hit record highs last year. We expect the same in 2020. Jimmy, are you the Russell? I am. I think senior markets correspondent Mike Santoli is right on it. All right. And uh, Jason Snipe. Caterpillar margins are improving drastically. Take a look. All right. So uh, S&P 500 is holding quite nicely above 5K. Of course, all comes down to what happens at the close. And I'll see, of course, as we take you through the last hour on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.